Welcome to the Athlete Diaries. I'm your host, Guy Walker. On this podcast, I take you through the journeys and challenges of professional athletes, from resilience to mental health and life away from sport. Today on the show, we have Jake Reed, one of the most incredible stories of life transformation I've ever heard. So inspiring and is an example of no matter where you are in life, you can change to do what you love. For anyone that doesn't know Jake, he played Victoria and also the Hobart Hurricanes for years, and he's a close friend of mine. Myself and Jake spent a lot of time together in the long-term injury club. For years, he helped me get through some difficult days, and we developed a very strong friendship. For me, this episode really showed me that you should try to truly get to know your friends, as the story Jake shares about his teens is one I wasn't aware of. Emotional, brave, and resilient are the three things that comes to mind when I hear Jake Reed's name. I insist you listen to the whole episode as it's one of the most emotional and powerful chats I've ever had. I also want to add a trigger warning in there for the last 15 minutes. For anyone doing it tough, there are some amazing organisations out there like Lifeline. Jakey Reid, welcome to the Athlete Diaries. It's a pleasure to have you on, mate. Thanks, Big Tex. It's uh, good to see you, mate. And it's um, very, very honoured to be on here. It's uh, it's been a while, hasn't it? Since since we've sort of we we were sort of arm in arm for a long time, weren't we? In, in rehab and sort of seeing each, seeing a lot of each other every day, and then gone to haven't sort of seen each other for a couple of years. So it's uh, good to see you, mate. Yeah, it is. Um, we did spend a lot of time together there. There is no doubt about it. We're best mates there at one stage. <laughs> Me and you hanging the out. The rehab crew. <laughs> Me, you and Moddy, it was great. But um, <laughs> no, it's definitely good to see you again. Um, we'll start off with a, a couple of questions just to, to ease into it and, and sort of help people um, understand a little bit of who you are, mate. So I've got a couple of um, early sort of rapid fire questions. So I'll start off with the first one. Um, and this would be a good one uh, for you with uh, all the experiences that you've had and the resilience you've had to build is what's one thing you wish that uh, you knew at the start of your career? Yeah, this is a bit of a cliche and we hear it all the time, but it's like it like rings so true to me that um, you know, it's over before you know it. So just enjoy the moment, like enjoy it while you can. And, you know, you get those guys in that come in at pre-season and, you know, they blab, blabber on and they tell you, you know, boys, it's over before you know it. Um, you know, take it all in. It's it's so true. And especially when you spend half your career or probably longer on the sidelines with injury, it just, it goes so quick. So it's probably that one. And um, like be a sponge, but you don't have to take on every bit of advice that you're given. Um I think that's something I probably struggled with early days, especially was um, I love receiving advice and love asking questions, but probably took on too much. And um, I'm not sure that was the best for me in my career. Yeah, I, I, literally, if, if I got asked that same question, that'd be the exact same two answers I reckon I'd give, um, especially that second one, because I always say to, to people, I, I say to um, cricketers or any any athlete and, and then even coming out of your sport is, is ask people to grab a coffee like me and you sort of were able to be a sponge to someone like Cameron White who was the most knowledgeable cricketer I've ever spoke to and just being able to sort of speak to him sometimes and I was the exact same as you as well with I'd like probably three or four different bowling coaches at the start of, of my career and you've got one bloke telling you that your, your scene position should be here then the next guy next week will be telling you something different so was that something for you that you sort of were going to the Hurricanes and come back to Victoria and then at some other academy and that was, was there just all different mixed messaging? Just 100%, 100% mate. And, um, you know, it'd be good if they could all probably, if there comes a time when they could all sort of probably get on the same page because for a young bloke coming in, like it was so much to take on, you know, and um, it wasn't until later in my career, like you said, that I had someone like Cameron White to say, look, mate, I understand you're trying to do your best and whatever, but you don't have to take on on everything. And I think like I end up changing my action and 
like all these, like you said, scene position, but from deep, three different blokes. And in the end, I was just, yeah. I went in as a fast swing bowler and I came out as a medium pace that couldn't move it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was like, it should be the other way around. So um, if I could give any little bit of advice, it might be just um, stay true to yourself as much as you can. Yeah, no, it's it's good because if, even if you think about it now, like if you're coming coming in as a young bloke, you probably spent a bit of time at Brisbane at the academy. Then you probably spent a bit of time with your academy in Victoria, and then your academy, and then your actual first team coach. So there's literally, especially as sort of a 17, 18, 19, 20 year old coming up through the ranks, is that you're under the impression so much and because you want to learn and, and you're still earning trying to earn respect is you do everything what these people are telling you to do but at the end of the day they actually don't care how you go like you're the only person that i was the exact same as you, you used to be able to bowl um out swingers and then i remember trying to change actions getting injured and then starting to bowl in swingers and you start not even thinking about bowling the ball don't you you start you start yeah. to think oh when you're running in you're thinking knee needs to be here shoulder needs to be here and just bowl the ball yeah, that's right. Because that's all you did when you got in there. But in the end, you yeah. found that I was I was so far inside my own head that I not even I really knew what was going on. <laughs> that doesn't help, does it? <laughs> no, not, 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 in a, not in a sport like that. <laughs> oh, um, and then with, with the last question I was going to ask is with your experiences so far, say Big Bash and with Victoria and, and getting to travel some, to some pretty cool places. Is there something that sticks out um, for you? Is there a really cool experience that? you got in your in your sort of journey um yeah there, there is um it was probably the day that i got to play at the at blundstone arena i got to take the field with two of the absolute greats in Stuart broad and kumar sangakara um like for me that means that i can't explain how much it means to me. it makes me emotional to think about it um yeah like that's for me that's the pinnacle it, one's taken i don't know how many test wickets the other's like one of the all-time left-handed greats. And I've got the, you know, yeah. little old kid from a town with 5,000 people got to take <laughs> the field with those blokes. And like, even when I was out there at the time, I was just thinking, how cool is this? You know, like I'm in the middle of a game, but I'm just thinking, this is the coolest, like, this is so cool. And I'm so glad I got the photo afterwards to, to remind myself. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, let, let, let's talk a little bit about your, about your cricket career and, um, you had some pretty amazing experiences. You probably didn't have the the, the usual sort of coming through all the, the different rep teams and, and for Victoria and stuff. And it, it's an amazing story. I want to sort of go back to how you first got contracted because I remember even when I was really young and playing for Footscray and you heard about um, a, a young tearaway called Jake Reed for Geelong and, and then you ended up sort of getting contracted um, the, the next year. What was that sort of year or two like playing for Geelong and, and, and actually getting told that you're getting a contract with Victoria? Yeah, so I'll start from the, the move to Geelong and um, that yeah. was pretty daunting. Like um, I'd been asked the year previous if I wanted to come down by Damien Shanahan and I sort of um, pushed it away. I wasn't ready at the time as a 20-year-old and um, yeah, a year later he asked again and I took up the offer this time and um, I remember moved down as a 21-year-old and um, it was pretty daunting not knowing anyone and I'd never really left Redcliffe to be honest, like sort of just a small town and just not sort of done my own thing, but with my mates. Um, so yeah, that was a huge, that was a huge leap in itself. Um, one I'm glad I took, but yeah, it was like, it sort of happened so quick. Now I think, like I think back, I thought, I think I debuted for Victoria at 23 and I just moved along at 21. So a two-year period there when I went play it started in the third eleven and then went third seconds first for Geelong and then next thing you know, 
Um, like really one season, I took 50 wickets or something like that um, in the ones. And, and then literally next thing you know, um, Andrew Lynch is calling me up saying, yeah, mate, we want you to come debut for, for the Vic. So like, um, yeah, it was all so fast. It was all so fast. And I wish it was a moment. I wish I could relive and just sort of take it all in a bit more. It is hard though, isn't it? When you sort of, when things are moving as quick as they are, like it, it is really hard. Can you remember that game who you played against for some of the players that you played against? Uh, my first, my debut. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was at Adelaide Oval. It's one I'd like to forget. I still joke with Wadey now that it's probably one of the worst debuts to ever, ever, ever go down in history. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember like I was a nervous wreck and um, Wadey came up to me before the game and he goes, youngster, you're opening the bowling. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's, that's the way to ease a fella in, you know. You know opening 20- the bowling Adelaide Oval. <laughs> yeah, absolute road. And uh, I remember the first ball I I come in and it was just the perfect outswinger and I think it was Maxi Klinger was the batsman and he came, and he propped forward and it hit, missed his outside edge by a bees must have been a bees and um, yeah. and I just thought oh well this this isn't too bad two days later I'm still out there I've bowled seventeen overs none for a hundred <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, it, it worked out it's actually not that not that easy. Yeah, I know, it, and it, it's hard, isn't it? Because especially on a ground like that, and you're playing against literally world class players, like, and it's it's daunting. You know, it must have been daunting enough to walk into a dressing room with the likes of Matty Wade, Cameron White, uh, Aaron Finch. Like, what was what was that like to go? I've watched these blokes on TV, and now within the space of a year or two, I've gone from playing third eleven at Geelong to walking out on the Adelaide Oval with Australian players. Yeah, like, and daunt, like, oh, I can't even explain how daunting it was. But I still got the same sensation last year when I walked in the dressing rooms and seen like Whitey and and these sorts of blokes. Like I never, I never ever took that for granted. Um, but yeah, when I my debut and David Hussey presented me my cap, I remember, and there was Maxi there and Petey Hanscom and like yeah, these sorts of blokes. I was just absolutely pinching myself. I remember, I went home the night after day one, and like I just sat in my room and was like not crying, but I was just like. Wow, like you, you're here. Like, how cool is this? So it's something, but it's like I said, I've, it's something that I still do now, and I've still done. We're not, you know, last year before I've done my knee. So it's yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, because uh, and then sort of that sort of two or three year um, of your of your career, like I can remember it really well. I, I sort of remember being injured and and being uh, at the ground a lot at the MCG to do a lot of rehab and sort of watching you you bowl for Victoria for them couple of years sort of when you weren't injured actually playing first class cricket and first class cricket then was was still absolutely packed wasn't it? I can still remember a game where I think you might have been playing against New South Wales and it was pretty much the Australian test team um, yeah. and you took a couple of wickets and and you were doing really really well at the stage so what was that sort of period of your life like where you you played that debut game um, against South Australia and um, to sort of play in the next sort of five, six, seven first-class games and, and mm. doing quite well and, and actually cementing your, your, your spot sort of um, in the side. Yeah, I was thinking, like I had a, a, the, the debut from hell, like you could say, but then game two, I think it was a pink, pink ball game. We played at the MCG against, um, against Tassie. And yeah. um, I remember there, like I bowled really well that game. I think I got maybe four or five wickets for the match and, Got my first wicket, and um, you know, I thought, was I, I thought, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you you can like you might be all right at this game after all. Like, so maybe I started to believe a bit more, and then 
you know, just slowly progressed as it, as it went on. And um, I never got comfortable, like, to think, oh, you're going to, you know, you're going to be, a, you know, a 100-shield game player. But um, I sort of got – I got comfortable enough to think that I did, like I was belonged in the squad, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, that was – it's hard to explain. Oh, yeah, like I said before, I wish I could go back to that moment and just enjoy that moment for what it was because um, it was – I never was really the same after that, I suppose. Yeah, it is as well. Like, and it's just, it's the same thing from so many so many athletes. Is that so many people, even on this show, like how many athletes I sort of have spoken to after their careers, and they all say the same thing: we I wish I celebrated the small wins a bit more. And and it's like in in life as well, isn't it? The way we go through is that um, we're always trying to achieve that next thing. We're always so negative on ourselves, and then you sort of look back and you go. Like I need to actually celebrate the small wins, and like it's a hard thing to do at this at the time, isn't it? Because you're sort you're you're sort of playing, and then four days later you, you're playing again, and you're playing yeah. again, you're training, and you're just playing, aren't you? It's a, it's a hard thing to do, but one that all athletes struggle with. Yeah, it is. It is. It's just to maybe able to just take it take it day by day. I don't, I'm not sure if I expected for my career to just take off or or what I really expected at the time. But yeah, it's one of those things that I wish I just maybe just took the time just to appreciate what I was what I was doing um, yeah, yeah, at the time a bit more. So, Who, who was your first first-class wicket? Um, Ed Cowan. I'll never forget it. Really? Um, That's a good one. Downhill at the G. Yeah, test, test play. Played a lot of test yeah. play. Yeah, a lot of hundreds. Um, I remember coming down the hill at, at the G and it pitched outside leg and then it straightened and it was going even further down leg. And I just like got right around the umpire and the boys all got around me and the umpire gave him out. I watched it. I probably... <laughs> On YouTube, I don't know how many views it's had, but I'm all of them. Uh, <laughs> still watch it now. Pitched outside, going down, umpire gives it out. Um, and then, yeah, like Bobby Corney and Dave Hussey and like all these blokes that I've idolised since I was a kid just jumping all over me. And I, yeah, it's something that I still pinch myself. I still get shivers thinking about it now. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Because if you think about the, the even the Victorian bowling lineup then, like you look at the likes, it's Peter, back then when you forced your way in the side, Peter Siddle, John Hastings, Scotty Bowen was bowling unbelievably well. Tremaine was just starting to come up the ranks. Um, yep. I'm probably forgetting a couple as well, but like what a, a Jim, Jimmy Pattinson, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a we had an unbelievable bowling lineup. Um, and like Tim McKay. Um, yep. It was such a such. I was so lucky to be able to be in amongst that group too, like because they were my idols. I watched those blokes on the TV, you know. And, all of a sudden, next thing I'm mixing it with them and I'm taking their spot, like I'm sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, unbelievable experience. My dream was always to be able to take the field with Paddo and Sids because those two I looked up to. Yeah. Like, I just love those two so much the way they go about their cricket and like their passion and their anger towards batsmen. Like, I just love them that much. So, that was always a massive goal of mine. Unfortunately, it never happened. But, um, I was lucky enough to like, take the field with Paddo, so that'll we'll have to rest with that. But, but you say that about them blokes as well, but it was the exact same playing with you. I remember even, I think, probably the only time I was really fit and playing second 11 career with Victoria was me and you opening the bowling together. And I remember just walking out onto the field and standing at fine leg watching you bowl and you're coming in and literally giving 110% each time. Like you were a great, um, you're great to be in a bowling partnership with just because you knew what you were going to get from you each time. Is that something that you pride yourself on always having a real red hot crack? Hundred percent, mate. And um, like I always leaked a few runs here and there, and that's—I <laughs> think that's just how I went. You know, I was always going to go up three yep. and a half, but I always prided myself on if you had the ball, like just to always give it everything you've got. 
and show as much aggression as you can. And I, that stems from back when I was started at Geelong and there was a bloke called Mark Carson. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, um, yeah, they played against him a couple of times. Quite arm quick for, for Geelong. And, yeah. um, you know, he sort of – I sort of learnt that off him, like how to get that like that real controlled aggression. He was sometimes uncontrolled. So was mine actually. But, yeah. Um, yeah, there was nothing better than just having ball in hand and, you know, maybe just nailing the batsman, you know, if you get him in the shoulder or something like that. There was no better feeling and then, you know, sort of get in his face and let him know that you're up and about. Um, yeah. And that's – yeah, that's why I love Pato and Sid so much. Yeah, because you, you're one of them blokes as well. Now I'm thinking about it is that I remember sometimes at training in the nets, um, you'd get them guys that sort of come in and, and probably bowl 20K slower than they do in a game. But if you got you in the nets, I remember some of the boys coming out, getting hit in the shoulder, and you'd even be the same in the net. You'd be an absolute nightmare in the in the nets for the boys, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still will be now. Once, hopefully my knee comes good. I'm going to still do it. Nothing better than bumping blokes <laughs> in the nets. The batsmen, the batsmen get it that easy, mate. Hey? And we, we bowl That's off about 14 a, steps as well, which probably helps. Yeah. You're coming off 20 yards, it doesn't matter. Come over and grab the green all the time. Uh, and then we, we fast forward on, like you had a, like we said, you had a, a couple of really, really good years, mainly injury free. And then how did, it, how did it all come up um, going to the Hurricanes? Like you spent a year with the Renegades, but then you, you flicked over to the Hurricanes. How did that all come about? Yeah, I think I, I think it was from a game I played it against against Tassie at the G and up lock. And I think Damien Wright was the bowling coach at Tassie at the time, um, and he was obviously the coach at the Hurricanes. And I I must have bowled all right that game. And um, yeah, he sort of just said we want to get you down, and they signed me on a on a three year deal. So like I was just like, yeah, my career sort of just took off. I couldn't believe it because I loved love yeah. the big bats, but never thought I'd ever see myself on there. Um, yeah, so then to get that opportunity to head down to Tassie, like I, I took it straight away. Yeah, it's um, it was a pretty good time for you as well. I think I um had a look at one of the games that you played just before we came on here, and one of the games against the the Thunder, you took like four for ten or something like that. You were knocking yeah. knocking blokes over. Jason Roy, yeah, not a bad wicket. We won't tell anyone that was a sticky dodgy one though. Like that was rock hard. <laughs> that was the flattest thing you'll ever play on. No, we rocked up. I remember we rocked up the Thunder game, and um, it was it was a bit well, it was a bit of weather around. The grass was standing up as well. <laughs> Had a few waves <laughs> in it, and um, yeah, I ended up getting four for eleven or something like that on an absolute shocker. Um, but that doesn't matter. The like the little plaque I've got next to my bed, like that says "Man of the Match," so it doesn't say nothing about the wicket. So I'll take it. Doesn't matter. You still got you still got to bowl well as well, don't you? Like, and you're getting out some pretty good players. Like I said, Jason Roy. You look at him now. He's probably one of the best white ball batsmen in the world. Um, and mm. you're getting some pretty good wickets. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I guess. Um, I wish I probably haven't really like thought about them as as much as well. Like, I still reckon my biggest yep. scalp is I got Sanger, Sanger out one day in the nets at the Hurricanes. That'd still be biggest scalp to this day. It was his, he, he, was that, he was that jet lagged. His eyes were still half closed. He just got <laughs> and he got in there and faced up. And I've just come in the long run. Yorker stumps everywhere. Still to this day, that's my best wicket ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's not bad. Oh, that that's an absolute claim to fame. What a what a freak he is, mate. That's absolutely. awesome. And an even better bloke to go with too. Yeah, like that, that's the other thing I'm going to bring up now is what we were saying before is that be a sponge, um, especially be a sponge to the the players that you're playing with or even players playing that level above is that if you ask them for a coffee um, and they're a half-decent person and they want to help out, they're, they're going to say yes. So 
Was that something that you did at the Hurricanes? Learn off blokes like Stuart Broad, Sangakara. I'm sure that was probably like Tim Payne there. Wadey was there probably for a bit as well. Did you what, what sort of lessons did you learn from that three-year period at the Hurricanes and who sort of were you a sponge to? Oh, yeah, I was pretty lucky that because we got to room with all the internationals, I suppose. Um, so it was pretty lucky that we'd all sort of hang out together, myself and Dan Christian, Darsh Short and... Um, I'm doing a lot of name dropping here, isn't it? It's amazing how many famous <laughs> people I know. Um, <laughs> but then we had like we had like Darren Sammy, and who was also the West Indies yeah, team. Yeah, cool time. So like he's, there's an unbelievable player in himself. Then we had Stuart Broad and Sean Tate, like these blokes. So I was very lucky that um, I just got to be sort of hanging around with them all the time and just see the way they go about it, how they prepared and um, how they went about it on game day and that sort of stuff. Um, I never sort of really asked too many questions because I always thought I would just get in the way. Um, yeah. But it wasn't until um, like about six months ago, when, when the last Ashes series was on actually, over in England, um, and we were playing Duke's ball second 11 stuff and um, I felt like I just wanted an edge. Like on the, I wanted to find you know, some new tricks with the, with the Duke's ball and I thought who better to ask than Stuart Broad? Like, I thought I'll just flick him an Instagram message. He probably won't even get back to me. He probably don't remember who I am. But literally on the morning of a of one of the test matches in the Ashes, Stuart Broad went out of his way to like get back to me on Instagram and send me four photos of how he holds the ball and like what he's trying to do with it and stuff like that. And just said, take that with you and have a crack. And to me, no like, way. That, that was I was just like, mate, on the morning of an Ashes test, he's got to the ground early and he, he should be thinking about, you know, blowing off Warner's pad again. But you know, he's gone out of his way to to do that for me. And I just thought, what a bloke. Like Australia's perception of that bloke is so wrong. He's he was um yeah that like that blows me away still. So um, yeah, probably during the during the time during my wow. time there, I probably thought I was going better than what I was. So I didn't pick the brains as much as as what I wish I had of. But um, yeah, I'm glad that I've certainly got to meet those blokes and they still help me out now. So. Yeah, well, it obviously shows you had a had a, a good in, impact on him for him to on the morning of an Ashes test. I never knew that to actually send you their messages is pretty pretty amazing. And like I ask this, I ask this question every I know, and I ask this question every single time of of people on here, and I say, um, "What are you thinking about when you're performing your best?" And hundred percent, the answer is always nothing, not a thing. Yeah, it's because and 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 that's it, isn't it? It's like we get we get coached so much to think, all right, you need to make sure you run in, run up like this, and you get your wrist position here, and your leg here, and your arm here, and you when you're actually, you should actually be doing that in training, obviously, but you get coached into you so much is that you you just forget to actually do it, don't you? And that's what blokes like really good players say, do the basics well. Because yeah. if you do them well and you back yourself in and you don't think and you just go out, watch the ball, and that's like even batting. Like sometimes you just get that, you coach so much is that you're thinking, all right, I need to need to play straight here and play there and play here and wrist position here is that you, you forget to watch the ball. Yeah, yeah, and I actually can't comment on batting because I was one of the worst ever. Doing that. <laughs> no, you weren't. You, you you got a few runs down the order, <laughs> but like it definitely like in bowling. You're right. Just when when you had nothing on your mind was when you were at your best. I found, and 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 vice versa. When when your when your mind was just full of things, it was hard. It was hard to perform. You, you know, your ball the ball would be going absolutely everywhere. So it's funny. Yeah, no. 
Yeah, definitely. And and Rito, what about I want to start to get into um, the injuries in your career, mate. Obviously, you had a, a hell of a lot. Um, where did it start? Let, let let's go from where did it start because we'll be here all day if we talk about how many surgeries you had. Yeah, we had yeah we had to, a lot. Um, there's obviously blokes worse off, so I won't try and carry on too much. But I remember it started like I've just been picked for a one day series um, for the Vicks, and we had like the practice games out at the high schools out the back of, I don't even know where they were, at the back of Melbourne somewhere. And it was a bit of a wet one. Yeah, Wesley College, I think. Wesley College, yeah. It was a bit of a wet yeah. one. I've just been told the day before that I'm going away for the one day with the one-day team. I thought, how good is this? But I hadn't been – they didn't think I was any good at white ball, but Shippies picked me, so that's good. Um, and then, yeah, I just – on a wet one, all of a sudden I done my knee. It just – I tore my meniscus. It just from – like my knee just was at the crease. I say it was just kept tearing and tearing and tearing and ended up tearing some meniscus and had a slight tear of my ACL. Um, which probably started, you know, started the rot really because after that then, yeah, the rest is history. I think I had like nine surgeries or something like that. And, um, yeah, I never really had more than – I don't think I had any more than three or four, maybe maybe six months on the park continuously from yep. that moment on. So it was a, definitely a roller coaster from, from then on. Yeah, so you had that ACL. You obviously missed a fair bit of cricket with an ACL and that's a thing with your injuries as well is that – they weren't hammies where you're out for four or five weeks. They were shoulders or knees and you're out for majority of the season. So yeah. is there any point sort of where you, you did your ACL, you came back and then you did it straight away again or you did a shoulder again? Because I remember one time you went in for surgery for your knee and then they said, oh, your shoulder's actually buggered as well. And then they did a double surgery, didn't they? Yeah, no, they didn't They didn't do a double. But actually, yeah, they did. They did a clean out of, of my knee. Yeah. Um, and then I had the full reconstruction of my shoulder. Um, like the shoulder was sort of that that built up over a couple of years, as you'd know, like we sort of had the same injury where, you know, we kept subluxing it and kept popping out. And um, it yeah. got to a point when I was, I threw a ball, I think in the, oh, in the field and it like popped out then. And that was probably the turning point where I had to just bite the bullet and take the 10 months off and, and get the reconstruction. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'd, I would much rather have the long, the long-term reconstruction knowing that it, I'm, it was stronger when I got back, unlike yourself, unfortunately, but, Mine was stronger than ever once I got back. And I'd much rather have that 10-month injury where you've got time to really work on yourself and, and build up yep. to that point again than, than the, the eight to 10-week ones that I kept getting on my knees and um, groins yep. and, and the osteitis pubis that would pop up for well, pop up for a couple of weeks here and there and then disappear and, and those sorts of things. I'd much rather have those long-term ones, as, as strange as that sounds, where you've just got that time to really better yourself. Yeah, and there's it. It is a it is a tough period of your life, isn't it? And, and like one thing for me is that I never had a shoulder issue um, ever. Never had one issue. And then I remember that first big bash game. I remember I something hearing something pop in my shoulder. I knew something wasn't right. Yeah. Was did you have the knee problems and the shoulder problems before all this happened, or did it just come out the blue? It's it sort of come out of the blue. Like before I sort of even got in the professional system, the only injury I'd had was side strains. Um, from back when I was a bricklayer's apprentice, I reckon, and I was started to play cricket. Like I got a few side strains here and there, but um, apart from that, like my knees, and I thought, well, I thought they were all good. Um, it wasn't until that first initial knee injury, and that um, that <laughs> I don't know, the rest of the body just. I think I'm not a doctor, so I don't know, but I think they all sort of flow on. Like once I got, yeah. once I had that knee, and then I started to get groin troubles with the OP, and um, having to have surgery on that, and then. I can't sort of blame that on my shoulder because it's a different part of my body, but 
I think they're all related because you start favouring one part of the body or, or something like that, and then you know they just yeah. sort of it just sort of flowed on in the end until it yeah it does, doesn't it? Mm. It, it, and it, ma- it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because if you have a shoulder surgery and you come back and you, you're literally giving 100% of your time to that shoulder is yeah. that you might not be giving uh, the knee or the, sh- or the, the calf or, or whatever and it um, could, the it, same attention like it normally gets. And, and it could also work the other way as well. Like if you're putting all the time, you know, if you've got a sore shoulder and you can't do much with that, you're putting all the time into your legs. So you might be straining your knees that you don't need to be straining because they're already, you know, worn and torn. So, um, yeah, it can work both ways for sure. And, and to, to give um, listeners a bit of a backstory of um, what me and Jake sort of had to go through when we were injured is we, we probably literally spent a couple of years together most days, Rito, didn't we, watching the boys train, yeah. um, going into going in after hours training to see Lynn, the Lynn Watsons of the world, the shoulder specialists, and um, you're not traveling with the team. You're spending a lot of time, me and you spent a lot of time together, doing Pilates together, trying to get back. He's the mental toll of of not just not even just being around the the team the playing team often and you're just left left to your own devices and it is a really really hard um time of your life isn't it and it's something that i sometimes struggle to explain to people is there a way that um how hard it is to explain to people the the toll of injuries not just the injury but what i've said is about missing out on on going away and playing and and job security etc yeah oh it's sort of hard to explain because you get people that will say, oh, you know, you're professional sports people and, you know, you're living the dream. I can't, like, how can you complain? But it's like going to work and having to sit in the corner the whole time. Like, go, you mm. go to work every day, but you've got to go sit in the corner for 12 months, like, and just do absolutely nothing. And that's, the, that's sort of how it made me feel because you, you rock up the train every day and all the boys are out, the, you know, you're in the gym at the G and you look out that window and you can see all the boys running in and, you know, absolutely giving it their all because they've got a shield game coming up and you're in the gym just you know, on the therabands doing some shoulder exercises or knee exercises or whatever it is. And, um, yeah, it sort of gets you really down because then you go home and, you know, have a dinner and stuff. You wake up in the morning and you go straight back to the gym, but you look out that window the next day and the boys aren't even there because they're like, they've just travelled, they've left to go to South Australia or, or somewhere else to play a game. And, and then you think, shit, you know, it's just me and you or, you know, it was me and you and three other blokes for, for the next five days until the boys get back. So... Yeah, it was definitely tough mentally. Um, I got like to some pretty tough spots. Like I, there was times where I really nearly got like got came close to quitting. Like I really wanted to pull the pin um, because like mentally you just you doubt yourself so much. Not your ability, but your body. Like I, there's so many times I just thought this like my body just isn't up to it. It's just probably easier if I just move home and and call it quits. And literally, I was like three or four years in. I still I was still there for another four years after that. So. I'm glad I didn't, but yeah, it can definitely drag you down. And then there's another thing as well is that when you're injured and you got them long-term injuries is you would have had the three years at the Hurricanes and, and that, and then you're trying to get back for Big Bash if you miss the start of the, the state season. And um, the hard thing there is that I remember a couple of times I was trying really hard to get back for the Renegades and had Ronnie, the coach, or, or Saker, David Saker come in and go, mate, you, you, your body's not up to it at the moment. We're replacing you. So then you've got to go through that. Was there a time for you where Damien Wright or whoever was coaching the Hurricanes sat down with you and went, mate, you, 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 we're going to replace you this year? Um, no, I, I never got – actually, yeah, there was. Yeah, I'll think about it. Um, yeah. But that wasn't really their fault. Um, I was, but, yeah, I was injured. Uh, I got replaced by Aaron Summers in my last season. 
it was my last contracted year at the Hurricanes before they just re-signed me not long ago. But it was in that first stint, and it was the last, the last year, yeah. And I was injured, and like that, that sucks because he played it like Aaron Summers played too, played three or four games, and I was thinking, you know, that that's my spot. Like I should be, yeah, that should be me out there on, you know, giving it a crack. And so that that definitely gets you down. Um, it, seeing that for sure, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, and you you fast forward it like they're playing. It's it, like for people that obviously haven't played Big Bash, it's it's a bloody good time of the year. You, you, it's summer, it's warm. You're traveling to different states. You're playing in front of thirty thousand people, and you you're flying around. You're having a couple of drinks with the boys, and you it's a time of your life. But if you're injured, you're literally at the MCG every single day, pulling around a theraband. Yeah. And no one cares about you because everyone's shifted to the stars of the Renegade. So no one literally cares. That's so true, isn't it? <laughs> so it's such a weird time to be home. Um, like, yeah, but you're right about the Big Bash. That was probably some of the coolest years of my life. And I know I, I name dropped a lot before and talked about all those international players, but like that was the coolest thing to be able to travel around with those blokes, travel around like the country and um, like not long ago, I met like a legend bloke, David Miller, like South African batsman. Oh, yeah. Left-hander. He's an absolute legend bloke. And like just being able to yeah. travel around with those blokes and have like you have a few sherbets, not every night, but most nights. And Most nights. <laughs> but it's just it's an experience like no other. And then you front up and play in front of these massive crowds. And um, yeah, it's, it's so surreal. It's such a cool thing. I hope that not, no one, I hope that people that, uh, um, like that are in it at the moment don't take it for granted like because it is such a cool thing it is and you got any you've got any um cool stories from the hurricanes boys you went away went out somewhere or went to someone's house is there any any moments that sort of stick in your in your brain that aren't r-rated <laughs> nah, nah, not, <laughs> not really it was big bashes were all big like big bashes over before you know it one that just started and yeah. literally eight weeks is gone and you've been drunk for half of them <laughs> no, nah, like my probably my favorite Big Bash story was just one that had just gone like after in, after before my final injury. Um, I was working at the City Power Center in in um oh, the Vic's home ground, obviously new home ground, and I was working there as a um like on the wickets and stuff like that as a curator, and I was still contracted Victoria, but I was doing a bit of extra work because um, I sort of knew that my career was probably coming to an end soon, but um. And I was just out there mowing one day and I got a random call from from um, the, the Tassie Hurricanes coach and um, he said, like, we want to replace you with Riley Meredith. And, to, like, I thought I was down and out. Like, I thought I was gone. I thought, no one wants me. I've got three months left here and then I'm, you know, going to shift home and um, you get on with life, which ended up happening out of my control. But, um, like, to get that call, I just thought, that was probably the most proudest I've ever been like of myself in my career because I never gave up. I still stuck at it through the, all the injuries and all those down times. And then to get a call, like I'm literally out rolling a cricket wicket for the Vic boys or I didn't know who it was for. And, and um, yeah, like Taz, the, Tazzy wanted me back down there for the Hurricanes and I was just, oh, mate, I was so wrapped to get, like, to get that phone call. And once I got up to, I can't remember what state we're in, might have been Brisbane or something. And to get up there and like be reunited with Dar Short and like these sort of blokes that have been there at the start when I first got to the Hurricanes, I was just like, mate, you've done a full 180, like you've done a full 360 here, like you've been through heaps of bullshit, a lot of injuries and tough times, and now and now you're back here. And I was just like, that is like that's so cool. So I was so proud of myself for that. 
that's awesome, mate. I, yeah, I remember sort of seeing when you got when you got called back up there. I was, I think everyone's just so wrapped for you because you're such a good fella and everyone loves you. Is that? And you've had such a stiff run. Is is people want to see you really succeed and just be 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 happy at the end of the day because you just had so much um, unfortunate luck on your side so far. And then the other thing that people probably don't see as well is that I remember I saw on your Instagram last week. Um, like people look at it and go, oh well, you're injured. You'll be able to get back. But unfortunately, some athletes. Um, their injuries stay with them and, and mm. like your knee, like mentally how paranoid you must be by running. And I remember you, you completed a 3K run or whatever it was the other week and um, you were really, really emotional. And it, what, what's that like just to um, have surgery, not have much faith in it and then be able to do that? Yeah. So like, I guess like with the knee reconstruction, um, that was sort of, that was a tough one to deal with because it was, I knew I sort of, not at the end of my career, but I thought maybe thought I could squeeze out enough, like a couple more years in the system if I if I had a good back end of the season. And um, yeah. I just finished like the, I'd had a massive high with the Hurricanes and um, being back around those guys again. And then it was literally the first game back after like I'd been dropped from the Big Bash team, like from the Hurricanes, um, and I was playing for our beloved Dogs and um, dummy ACL. And so I was like, yeah. it was a tough one to deal with because I'd just gone from this massive high of being around this big bash squad to a massive low of like career done pretty much in the space of two days or three days. So it was a pretty tough one to deal with. And um, I've probably haven't dealt with it as well as I should have um, because I lost my contract and um, ultimately moved home back, back with my family and friends, which I've absolutely loved. Like that's a massive positive out of this whole thing was be able to get back with my family and friends. And, but um, yeah, the mental demons have been, like no other, like I've woken up in the middle of the night in cold sweats and like just reliving that moment of doing my knee. Um, Cause the pain, like the pain and stuff at the, like when I'd done it was like nothing else. And I hope to never ever have to feel that thing, like feel that happen again. But um, yeah, you're right. I do get emotional. Like I'll, I think it's because of the fact that I've put it off for so long. Um, I've made it a lot harder than what it should be. Um, I've fought, you know the, the the battle of maybe I'll just play never never play again. It's you know, and I've I sort of gone through that whole situation, and then I've gone through you know the the other way where you're like, oh no, you can get back to first class cricket, and so you just it's just a massive roller coaster. But the other day I I sort of I've started getting back into the gym and doing the right things and looking after my knee again, and um, started doing some stability stuff and all that sort of stuff, and I just so I'm going to go for a run. And I literally pumped out five k's nonstop on my knee. And oh, when I got back, I had to share it. I did share it on Instagram, but I just it was probably a bit embarrassing. But well, that's one of the coolest things I've ever done. Like I'll get emotional thinking like talking about it now. Um, for me to be able to fight those battles and then push through it, and then like just to go on that five k run. And when I finished, it was like I just climbed Mount Everest. You know, like. It meant more to me than any Shield game, any Big Bash game, meeting any superstar like that. That meant more to me than absolutely any of that. Like to to think that I could beat the demons that I did and get to there. So yeah, sorry, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> no, mate, that's and I think it's it's awesome for people to see because, like you said, like not many people can say that they've debuted for Victoria with James Pattinson or or, or got out Ed Ed Cowan as their first wicket or 
took four for 10 in a big bash game and you're saying that running five kilometers is was a better moment than all of that like i think that just sort of sums it up how hard it is and i think you're being really hard on yourself as well in in probably not doing all your rehab 100 correctly right now because you've had so many years now of of having to do that rehab and it almost gets to a stage where it's so monotonous and you're doing such boring rehab is that mm. it just gets it just gets on top of you, doesn't it? And you go, oh, I've been pulling the Cereband now for three years and I'm not not even better. Yeah. So it's just so hard to actually do it. But for you to just be able to do that and and share how significant that was for you is is really, really amazing, mate. So what 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 are the plans going forward for you now? Is it trying to keep that knee going well, getting back to, to cricket? What are your plans going forward? Yeah, like like I said. Um, to before we were on um, if you had asked me two months ago I probably would have said I'll probably I just want to go travel around Australia and I don't want to um, sort of follow any more cricket don't want to play any more cricket you know look after me knee and um, sort of give sport the boot but it's not until I've had this motivation to get back into looking after me knee and getting healthy again and losing the kegs that I've stacked on um, <laughs> it's not since I've started doing that that I've really got the hunger back now I think like so if you ask me now the future plans are I want to probably head up to Darwin um, in the in our off season in their cricket season around my, uh, April May or so. Um, I want to head up there and do what I did with my shoulder after my shoulder reconstruction. I want to head up there and um, try and play some cricket and you know maybe if I'd even play for you know two or three months and just test it out and see how we go. Um, I'm not going to try and put anything in stone. Um, obviously, I still love the game of cricket, um, so I want to give it one more crack. Not professionally, but if I could get back to playing at Footscray and, um, you know, give the boys in the club back there, um, you know, what I couldn't give them in the back end of last season, well, then that'd be great. So, um, yeah, nothing set in stone, but um, I think we've got one more crack left in us yet. That's awesome. It, it, they're, they're great goals to have, and it's it's awesome that you're going to try and get back and um like like a lot of blokes like Darcy Short and stuff said to you before like it's just you've had such a stiff run it's it, it, I think for everyone it's so good to see you see you see you somewhat back so hopefully you can just get out onto the field and just be able to play some cricket and, and enjoy just being around the boys again that's just one of the that's one thing that I've probably missed the most is just that camaraderie with um teammates and just being able to, to sort of, I remember, like I said before, like playing with you was really good because you give 110% and and walking out onto a field with blokes like you, it just makes your sort of chest um, stand up a little bit taller just because you know that you've got a bloke there that's going to give it his all and going to try and have a crack. And it's like, it's almost like a brotherhood, isn't it, when you're playing sport like that? So is that one thing that you've really missed by not playing cricket? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, yeah I couldn't have said it any better myself. Um you know, it's not so much just the beers afterwards, but yeah, it's the it's like fighting like dogs together, really. Um, you know, ha, you know, being able to walk out with you know three or four other quicks was like that's what I love the most, just like knowing that you've all got each other's back and yeah. you sort of know what each other's going through at, at the time or what you know what's going through their mind, and that's like an amazing feeling, and that's something that I definitely miss. And I, I yeah. miss leading, like I miss leading as well. Like I never led it in the professional sort of arenas but um definitely at clubland like i i was the leader of the attack and i certainly miss that feeling of you know jump on the back boys you know i want to we're going to try and tear these these bastards to bits and um yeah something that i miss and that's something that i just want i really 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 want to get back to if i can get back to that mate i'll be absolutely pumped 
yeah, mate, I, it, it's awesome. I, I really hope that you can get back there, and um, I'm sure I'm sure you possibly could you, if you're taking these sort of steps to to get there. I'm, I'm really looking forward to to watching you get there. Um, and like I said before, I, I've always wanted to to get you on and, and be able to share your story because it's an amazing one. And um, I was saying before how I tried to get into a studio, but it just didn't quite work for to get you in there. And I remember when I asked you um, to come on, mate, I, I didn't realize some of the things that you went through um, to sort of get to where you got to. And it's um, an even more of a credit to sort of where you are now. Is it, um, can you give us a little bit of a, sort of your journey growing up and and like i said before with the you probably didn't play the vic 15s and 17s and 19s like a lot of blokes do to get through to the pathway what was your sort of pathway and challenges to get to playing big bash and playing state cricket yeah mine was um yeah mine was obviously really left field and one that you probably won't see very often if at all but the reason i sort of wanted to delve into it was because if i can inspire some young bloke to um, that might be in the same situation to be able to, you know, pull their head out their ass or, you know, be inspired by what I'm about to say and um, take that next step like in their life and start kicking some goals. Well, then I've done my job. But um, yeah, I just grew up as a normal kid, mate, like in Redcliffs and um, had a normal family and stuff. My parents bought a split when I was a bit younger and went through school and I wasn't very good at school. Um, I think it got like towards the back end of year 10, I got asked to leave. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was like, I think it was about 15 or 16 and um, a close friend of mine passed away in a car accident. And I'm not blaming that moment, but I think that's when my life sort of turned for the worst. Um, I started to rebel a lot. Like I turned towards alcohol and um, cigarettes and, um, and drugs as well. And uh, without going through it all, it sort of spiraled out of control to a point where by the age of 18, 19, I was stealing like from my parents, um, from my mates, you know, from my sister. Um, you know, I was lying. I was in and out of jobs. Um, and it was all due to like an, the drug addiction that I had that I'd sort of built up over the years. Um, and it got, it got pretty bad, mate, um, to the point where I got kicked out of home and I was sort of on my own. I wasn't on my own. I was living with a mate's dad, but I was sort of on my own for a lot. Um, and I found it really hard to kick. I kicked the habit, you know. I was, I'd do anything for a quick dollar to get a quick hit, you know. And this is all at the age of 18. So I'd sort of seen a few things. By the time I was 18, I'd, I'd been through probably a lot of things that most people probably won't go through in their life, you know. Um, and I'm not saying this to be cock-a-hooter. I'm just saying this because, you know, if I can inspire someone to think that they're at their rock bottom and I can inspire them to maybe go do something about it and go seek help, then I've done my job. But rock bottom for me, mate, was after my drug use um, got out of control, I sort of picked up depression, anxiety, um, these sorts of things that obviously were they were self-inflicted. Um, but it got to a point where um, I broke in my dad's shed one day and loaded up one of his guns and I drove down to my favourite spot on the Murray River as an 18-year-old kid and or 19-year-old kid and I really got like contemplated taking my own life and it got to that it, it's hard to explain how close I got but it was it got close um, and 
I'm glad that I didn't make that decision at the time. Um, I made the right decision. And I remember I jumped back in my ute and I drove back to my dad's house where I'd stolen the gun from. And I remember I went out of my way to be really noisy when I got back. Um, you know, like I drove my car down the driveway and parked and slammed the shed door and I wanted my dad and my stepmom to wake up, you know, because I was crying for help. Yep. You know, after that initial decision, I knew that I didn't, have, you know, I wasn't going to take my own life. What I needed was serious help. And I'm so glad that I did choose, first of all, not to take that step, but then secondly, to just do those simple things, like make all that noise so I could get caught, so I could get that help. Um, yeah, that was, and then from, you know, from then, you know, it must have been tough for my dad and and that, and stuff to see that, but um, I'm sure they'd go through that all again if they like, could have me still here. So um, obviously it would have been tougher then, but um, I think it was tougher for me to grow the balls and, you know, just to just like to seek the help that I needed. Um, yeah, because I, I wasn't I wasn't a well person. I was really struggling in life, so. Yeah, um, that's sort of that was my that was my growing up. That was all before the age of nineteen, and then you know by the age of twenty, I'm I'm thrust into you know I, my my parents. The best thing they ever done was for me was they sort of kicked me out of town. They just said, "Mate, you've got to go." Like and see that you stay here and die, or you move away and make something of yourself. Because the one thing that was consistent through this whole thing, text was cricket, and I did an article with Jesse Hogan maybe about five years ago and um, we spoke about like cricket saved my life and it actually did because through this whole thing, this addiction and through, you know, depression and anxiety and all that sort of stuff and the counsellors and the all that sort of stuff, the one thing that was consistent was the game of cricket. I always rocked up to cricket. I always, you know, cricket gave me everything and I'm so in debt to the game because, and that's why I'm like, I get so emotional about when I speak about cricket and the people I've met because, um, yeah, rock bottom was, was bloody rock bottom. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I've never said, I've never shared that publicly. And I thought, what a platform maybe just to like to speak about it because if I can inspire just one kid, like just one kid that might think he's at rock bottom or, he is at rock bottom in his life and he can hear this and just think, wow, you know, like there's hope for me yet because literally from that moment to three years later, I was playing Victoria. Like, so your life can turn around so quick. And, um, yeah, so if I'm going to inspire one kid to, to maybe, you know, chase his dreams, then I've done my job. Oh, mate, you you will. Um, and thank you for sharing that because that's one thing that, like I said, uh, it almost um, it almost makes me think um, about myself. Just to, we were so close for so long. Why didn't I ask questions about sort of um, just about your sort of previous life and and how you were going? And I think what what's so amazing about that, Rito, is is lot myself and I'm sure the rest of the people that know you is that we have so much respect for what you've gone through um, in injuries, but also the respect for you as as a person and and what a 
what a great fella you are. But now, uh, like my respect's even gone through the roof now for you to be brave enough to, to share that. And, um, and that's what this whole podcast is for, is to share some amazing stories, but also to break down stigma. I've had obviously Puck and Harps on talking about um, their mental health issues and Harps' concussion. And yeah. for you to, to speak, and I had so many amazing messages from people I didn't know, but also some people I knew um, yeah. saying that the Will Bukowski episode um, – that they really struggle yeah, with mental health. Yeah. And I'm sure this, mate, it's going to impact so many um, people as well. But like you said, it's incredible your path. Most 18-year-olds, they're living at home, um, sort of finishing school and then maybe private school going into into Victoria. That's that's a lot of the usual pathways. But yeah, to uh, show where you were is amazing. Yeah, I think in a, I'm not embarrassed by it at all, um, that's for sure. But I... Um, I think it put me, if anything, it sort of put me in good stead for what I was about to like take on in my professional life. Because yeah. as you said, like I see a lot of the dudes come out of, um, you know, straight out of uni or out of school and they're thrust straight into a professional cricket career. Um, I sort of done it like, took like the, <laughs> definitely took the beaten path. And I think it put me in good stead for like the, the injuries and stuff that I was about to endure because, um, yeah. You know, when I did get injured, I just thought, you know what, like this isn't half as bad. You know, it's sort of, and and that's just sort of my attitude. And I did get a lot of comments or compliments when I was injured all the time that you know it's good to see that you're still up and about and stuff like that. And I, I think that's because I just thought, mate, <laughs> yeah, my rock, my rock bottom's rock bottom. To me, this is water off a duck's back, sort of thing. So I think it yeah. definitely put me in good stead, and I'm definitely the man I am today through my, you know, because of my past. Yeah, definitely. And that resilience, like it just showed with your injuries because when people said, um, geez, you, you're making light of a bad situation with your injuries, is that that is that is absolutely spot on. Like, I remember some days you get there and you'd be a bit flat, but I'd sort of get to see you and, and we'd grab a coffee or whatever and you're always up and about and it and it actually that aura actually helps people bring people up as well. Yeah. Um, which is so amazing, mate. And like do you reckon like a lot of people now is we talk about is that some kids um, struggle to sort of build resilience um, and it's something that probably isn't so prevalent um, now. How how are you able to build such resilience through that sort of journey in younger life and then also your injuries? How is it that you were able to push through them things and actually get through it? Oh, uh, look, I think you've just got to be able to, like, first of all, you've got to be able to surround yourself with the right people, don't you? I mean, I, I know this sounds stupid, but I probably wouldn't have been able to get through, through rehabs if it was like if you weren't there. You know what I mean? Like, mm. um, because we have a lot in common. Um, but I don't know. Like, home helped me a lot. Like I was, I was pretty lucky. I had a pretty good support base here. And when I got injured, you know, like I'd come home and um, have a few sherbets more than what I told the, st- the coaching staff. And um, <laughs> you know, I'd sort of just let it all go and just think, you know, it could be worse. Um, yep. You know, it, it could be worse. And then I'd sort of just let off a lot of steam and then I'd come back. And once I come back, I was, I was sort of just ready to tackle whatever challenge was, was about to come, like, you know, with, with rehab. And um, I think, yeah, you got, you definitely got to have a, a really good support network, but apart from that, mate, I don't know. I think it might just be who I am. I just never sort of tried, never really let it get me down too much. Although, like, in yep. saying that, like, it, I did get down and I wasn't always resilient. Like, there yeah. were times I wanted to chuck the towel in 100%, but, um, 
yeah, I like to think I was probably more resilient than not. Yeah, and one thing that always keeps popping up at the moment, especially with mental health, is um, especially as males, is we actually think it's brave to uh, keep what we're going through in and not actually tell anyone, and um, that's why it's so bad. I was actually speaking to a director of um, a charity the other day, and he said the uh, the statistics in men's mental health at the moment through through COVID has just been exponential because blokes don't talk. Is it? What can you say to people that might be going through a tough time at the moment just to be it, – it isn't just to say it's not actually brave to keep it all in and it's actually brave to actually speak out about it. Yeah, and that's like half the reason I want to tell the story, text. Like, yeah, because like back when I was a youngster, it was, you know, that wasn't brave to speak. Like you kept everything yeah. to yourself. And I know oh, I know I'm not an old stalwart, but literally that was 10 years ago. And, and like now that like everything's just coming leaps and bounds and it's so good to see, but it – you know, like, you're weak as piss if you sit in the dark and you don't say anything. Like, honestly, I, that's what I think. And I'm an emotional dude and I don't mind saying, like, I don't mind crying and getting tears out and stuff like that. But, you know, if you are going through a tough time and, you know, no matter how big or small, like, no matter how big or small you think your ground zero is, just seek help, you know. Like, uh, tell a mate. You know, if you, if you, if you can't tell your, your bloody best mate that you're struggling, well, then he's even your best mate. Like, Exactly. Um, and, yeah, like, there's so much. There's so many platforms now. Um, and I think like, I love blokes that, like Dane Beams and Park Wilpikowski and these blokes, like, reaching out and speaking about it because it needs to be more common. Like, and I hope that now that I'm in the workplace, like, I really hope that one day it can, like, sportsmen set the example, don't they? So I yep. really hope that, you know, dudes keep speaking up and, and we can eventually – that can build build the workplaces like that I'm in now, like in a farm in the middle of nowhere, where you can grab a bloke after you've had a hard day's work and you're having a stub and you're going, mate, I'm feeling like shit, and you ask for help. Like, I hope that yeah. that's that one day that's what it can come to. Yeah, well, exactly the same here, and that's that. You're right. The the players that have actually stood up and put their hand up, it's so brave because. At some points there, I, I probably wanted to do it, but just wasn't brave enough. And I thought yeah. the brave thing to do was just keep it all in. I had some external things going on in my life and I was really struggling. And what it actually makes you do as an athlete as well is that you can't perform because you're not happy and you don't want to be at training. Mm. You don't have that motivation. Like like performance sort of level. Like, or... Yeah. Mm. So, mate, like, again, thank you for – thanks for sharing that, mate, because I'm like I said, there's going to be so many people that – that I don't know and there's going to be probably people that I know that are probably going to message through and say, you know what, that story's really helped me. I'm really flat, especially in this time with COVID as well. Yeah, um, that's, and that's for awesome. someone that – for, for someone that, that might be struggling, Reedy, what, what would you say to them? Who, who should they be asking for help and should they just be going to a mate or, or parents or where? Uh, I think everyone's different, dude. Like, I think yeah. everyone's – I do think everyone's different. Um, you know, if, if if you don't want to speak to someone you know, literally you can call Lifeline and these sorts of numbers that, like, you remain yeah. anonymous, like, and I can't even say the word, anonymous. <laughs> um, and, you know, just you can speak to someone like that. Otherwise, like, my advice is literally go grab the person that you care about most and tell them because that's where you're going to get all your help. And, um, you know, I was lucky through my experiences that my family sort of, they were the, like, they were there for me for me the whole time they they sought like they sought me the help once they realized what was happening and um yeah you know if it wasn't for them you know I'll, i wouldn't have 
I wouldn't be here talking to you really and um, talk yeah. about the, you know, all the experiences and, and the cool life experiences I had. So um, honestly, if, um, if you can just grow the agates or get the courage to, to go speak to, to someone that you love, um, you know, 10 times out of 10, that person is going to help you. And, and you'll be so, so glad you did. Yep. Mate, Jakey, Jakey Reed, thanks for coming on, mate. It's, it's been awesome. It's been a story that I've, I've wanted to, to share for a while now, the resilience, um, the setbacks that you've had, and then uh, this story now as well, mate. It's just, um, like I said before, the, the respect I have for you, mate, couldn't be any more, and I'm sure that that's, that's the like for everyone else, and I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to sharing your story, and um, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of messages made for, for how hard you've done it, but how such, a, such an, an amazing positive um, mindset you've had during it and that want to, to be able to help people. So again, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks heaps for having me, Tex. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually really honoured to be on here. Um, I was saying not long ago, oh, at the start, but um, I'm a huge Tigers fan and Richo was on not long ago. So to be even on the same <laughs> podcast as Richo, mate, I'm stoked. So thanks for having me. Bloody good to see you. I appreciate it. For someone I spent so much time with, I literally spent every single day with him for years and years at, at, at Victoria while we're both going through a lot of surgeries, a lot of shoulders, a lot of knees. And the constant was always that me and Jake were together doing our rehab. And it was the first time I've actually heard what he went through as a, as a teenager. I think it's a great lesson to show that not only where you are in life, you can always change your goals. You can always change your life around, even if you're doing it tough. Jake's so resilient and so amazing in his character. He always had a positive outlook on life. Something that really came out of, out of that chat for me was Jake asking for help. A lot of the time, men won't actually ask for help when they're actually struggling. And I think he's a great example to, to tell friends, to tell family if you're doing a little bit tough. Again, I really hope that you got a lot out of that episode and, and got to see the resilience and, and character Jake's been able to build and the way he got to change his life around. If you haven't already, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend who might find it beneficial. 